and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to give online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Tonight's message by telling you a little bit more about me and Rose. Um, as we're getting to know each other, I'll share a little bit more about us. So I shared last month that uh, we were having our anniversary. So we've been married now 13 years. It's been just bliss, all 13, Rose. It's just awesome. It's been great. Well, most of them. Anyway, so I'll, I'll share about that. Um, the story of our meeting is really quite long, so I'm going to skip to the short version. But if you ever want to hear kind of the long version, just invite Rose out to coffee, me out to coffee. We'll spend some time and share it with you. We like talking about what God has done. But I was single because I went through an unwanted divorce. And Rose was single because her husband was killed in a car accident. And then we met each other. And uh, we both had a couple of kids. And I had two, she had three. We started talking on the phone. And then a few months later, I, I knew that she was the one. And so we flew out to California. I'm a Michigan fan. I, I will tell you that up front. I'm sorry. For, yeah, there's like three of us now. Um, but Michigan was playing in the Rose Bowl. So you kind of Rose, Rose Bowl, you know. Uh, I'm kind of like that, you know, or I was when I was proposing. Anyway, so I took her out. We went to the Rose Bowl parade. We went to the Rose Bowl. Michigan was winning when we left the stadium. They ended up losing, but they were winning when we left. I took her out to dinner, went down to the beach. You remember all this, don't you? Yeah. And I got down on one knee and proposed, and she said yes. It was the perfect uh, proposal from my perspective. Um, now, while we were dating, I would say also during this time, Rose was perfect. I mean, she was perfect. She was the perfect girlfriend, perfect mom, perfect mom figure to my kids. She was the perfect Christian, the perfect cook. And I believe she pretty much felt the same way about me, you know, that I was pretty perfect at that time. I had this incredible feeling of love. We began to plan a wedding, and then we had our wedding. It was like the perfect wedding. It just, everything went really well. Five months later, it was just five months later. It was really quick. And, uh, and then we went away on our honeymoon. We had a perfect time out in the Caribbean on an island. It really, I mean, what could go wrong? That was our feeling. So we came back and we had built a house and uh, they gave us the keys to the house the day after we came back. And how perfect is that, right? And so we moved her in, we moved me in, you know, with my kids, her kids, and we all settled in and we had the perfect Brady Bunch going on. And we just did. Everything was great. But then we realized that being in a step family is a little difficult. Anybody say amen to that? Yeah, there's a few. Oh, my kids all said, that's who said it. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Well, we found out that uh, I wasn't actually perfect anymore, you know? And I found out that Rose wasn't really completely perfect herself. Um, being in a step family was really hard. And the feeling of that, that perfect love began to fade. Anyone ever had that happen before? Don't raise your hand. Just, just think about it. But that didn't mean that we stopped loving each other. All right? I didn't stop loving Rose. She didn't stop loving me. We absolutely loved each other. But that feeling of love was fickle. It would come and go. 
My love for her, though, never changed. You see, love is an overused word. We say things like, we, we love our spouse, but then we say we love Chipotle, all right? Those are two different things. Same word. We say we love our children, but then we say we love the Star Wars movies, right? We say we love our friends and family, but then we say we love playing basketball or some other sport. The definition of love is very confused. But even though it's confused, it's extremely important to understand it. Love is the main theme throughout the Bible. Here's just one scripture that talks about the importance of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over uh, to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So that scripture is emphasizing how important love is. But what does the Bible mean when it uses the word love? Is it loving like I love Chipotle or loving like I love my wife or is it something different? And the goal for today is to answer the question, what is the Bible's definition of love? And we're going to be reading the same scripture we read a couple of weeks ago when I introduced our key scripture. It's in Mark chapter 12. You can turn there if you'd like. We'll be reading it again. This section of scripture focuses on love. And understanding the definition of love is extremely, extremely important. So I'll briefly set it up. Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem. He's been teaching and answering questions. Uh, it's actually just days before he will be crucified and then rise again on the third day, come back to life. But at this point, he has just flawlessly answered every question that they've thrown at him. A lot of trick questions. But one more teacher approaches him and asks a, another question. So I'm going to read this with Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So today we will be continuing our, our summer series called Top Priorities, Putting First Things First. And it's a series about the two most important commandments which is to love God and to love our neighbor. And since these uh, are the most important commandments, we have incorporated those into our church's purpose statement. Our simple pur purpose statement is this. Lighthouse Vineyard Church exists to train and encourage people to love God, love people, and shine Jesus within the city of Elkhart and the surrounding county. So we want anyone who calls Lighthouse Vineyard Church their church home, we want them to love God, love people, and shine Jesus. And our summer series is really trying to define what that means. But we have to start by defining what we mean when we say love. 
Best way to do that, I believe, is to take a look at the author and creator of love. Because God is love and he has created us and he knows everything about love. And so we're going to take a look at how he loves us. First John 4, 16 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So God created love. He shows us love and he is love. So today's message is titled Biblical Love Discovering God's Definition. And my hope is that we get a better definition of love tonight by looking at the way God loves us. But let me pray and then I'll give you uh, three points that you can fill in on your handout. So Father, we come to you and uh, we recognize that this is such an important topic. I mean, the whole reason that you sent Jesus to the earth is to demonstrate and to show us your love. So I pray, God, that you would speak through me, that you'd speak to our hearts, God. And I do invite the Holy Spirit to come and, and just fill in all the gaps of what I miss. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give you three points that you can fill in. And, and my hope is that we as the people of Lighthouse Vineyard Church, that we learn how to love people and love God with these three specific ones. But there are so many other ways, but I've had to narrow it down to just three for tonight. So God's love for us, first of all, number one is unconditional. It's unconditional. Again, going back to our key scripture, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus is quoting those, he's actually quoting two Old Testament scriptures. The first one is from Deuteronomy chapter six. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he's also quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, that says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that's where he gets those two commandments. So the Old Testament scriptures were written in Hebrew. So the word used for love in Hebrew is Ahab. And it means to have affection for. And then the New Testament was written in Greek, so the scriptures there in Mark use the word agapeo, agapao, right? There we go. Christine's my, my Greek expert, um, which means to be fond of, to love dearly. So in the church community, that's known as agape love. Many times we talk about God's love for us and we call it agape love. God's love for us means he has affection for us. He has care and concern for us. And I would even go as far to say that he likes us, really does. Now, typically that feeling of love in the Greek is the word eros, but that's not the one that's used here. Another word in the Greek uh, that's used for love is phileo, which means brotherly love. In fact, that's where the city Philadelphia got its name, the city of brotherly love. It uses that word phileo, but that's not the word that's used here either. In this section of scripture, and most of scripture, the word that's used is agape. It's the same word that's used in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ loved us. He showed his love for us. We didn't earn it. There's no way we could. 
But in our culture today, the definition of love is so often, you love me, and then I'll love you back, right? You scratch my back, and then I'll scratch yours. I was thinking about this, and I remember when I was a kid back in kindergarten, I don't know if they still do this, but I used to write this note, you know? I, I must have done it a lot, because I remember it. It says, I love you, do you love me? Yes or no, check one. Yeah, you know, check one of the boxes. Yeah, anybody ever do that? Is that just me? No, okay, a couple of us, all right. Um, so anyway, you, you, you hand that to someone. If they check yes, then whoa, you got a kindergarten relationship going on, right? Um, but if they say no, what do you do? You just move on. I mean, that's what I did. If they said no, okay. So if, if they didn't love me back, I just moved on. My, my love as a kindergarten was very conditional. But that's not the kind of love that God has for us. In fact, if God was writing that kindergarten note, his note would simply be, I love you. That's it. It didn't, didn't need any love back. It's just a one-way, unconditional, that's how God loves us. And when we come to the place of really loving God back, it's because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. God's already put his best foot forward. He's already shown us that he loves us. He, God loves us before we did anything to deserve it. The cool thing is we can't do anything to make God love us more. And we can't do anything to make, us, to make God love us less. Let me say that again. We can't do anything to make God love us more, but we can't do anything to make God love us less. His love is perfect, it's complete, and it's without condition. It's completely unconditional. This was a hard concept for me growing up. I grew up in a Mennonite church, and one of the things that they really emphasize in, in Mennonite church is service and, uh, and being good and doing things, you know? And so in Mennonite churches, they, they're one of the best churches to, to serve others and to help others. But there is a, a, a downside to that, which is, I got just in growing up, I don't know how it happened, but I had this mentality that I needed to earn God's love. There was something behind all the serving and that I needed to do it. And so I didn't understand the biblical church word called grace, which is really God's unconditional love and forgiveness for us. But I remember when this actually came, uh, my, my mindset was changed. I was uh, on a Sunday morning and we were doing worship and I started praising like we did tonight. You know, I just started worshiping God. And then all of a sudden I remembered Saturday night. This was a Sunday morning. I remembered Saturday night and I'm like, oh man, I messed up. I sinned last night. And I was like, I felt the shame and I felt the conviction of it. And I was like, oh, I stopped singing. I might've even sat down. I don't remember if I sat down. And I said to God, I said, God, I'm, I'm just sorry. Man, I, I'm sorry I messed up last night. You know, and in my heart, I'm thinking, okay, I just need to be good. I need to kind of earn God's favor back. I need to do these good works, you know? And uh, as soon as I asked God for forgiveness, I felt his love. Immediately, I felt his love. I felt his forgiveness. I felt his embrace. And I'm like, whoa, God, no, no. You can't love me yet. I haven't earned it, you know? I mean, I have, it's only been like six hours since I've sinned, you know? I mean, you gotta give me time to, to not, and it was just it kind of blew my mind that God's love for us is it's not based on anything that we can do. 
That's not. Our sin can separate us from God, to be sure. But, you know, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And at that moment, God's love was all over me, and I didn't earn it. There's no way that we can. We can't earn God's love, and we can't lose God's love. It's 100% unconditional. And not only is God's love for us unconditional, but it's selfless as well. That's your second fill-in if you want to write that in on your handout. God's love for us is selfless. The love of God always wants the best for us. He's not in it for himself. He has always been and will always be about us. God's love is not about what's best for him. It's about what's best for us. The most famous scripture in the Bible is John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not have perished, shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son for our sins. I don't know about you, but no matter how much I say I might love you, I, I don't know that I could give up one of my kids for you. That's an incredible level of love. But not only did God sacrifice his son willingly, but Jesus, his son, came to earth and he willingly laid down his life for us. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Not only did he willingly, willingly lay it down, but he did it with joy. This scripture kind of messed me up this week but as, I was, as I was reading it. It says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew that dying the most horrible, painful death on the cross would give us an opportunity to have life and to have salvation and spend eternity in heaven. And so for that reason, he had joy in his eyes as he was laying down his life for us because it was all about us. Here's a story that's been bouncing around the internet for several years. I thought I'd read it because it, it shows this kind of love. It says, many years ago, when I worked as a volunteer at a hospital, I got to know a lovely little girl named Liz who was suffering from a rare life-threatening disease. Her only chance of recovery appeared to be a blood transfusion from her five-year-old brother who had somehow survived the same disease and had developed the antibodies needed to combat the illness. The doctor explained the situation to her little brother and asked the little boy if he would be willing to give his blood to his sister. I saw him hesitate for only a moment before taking a deep breath and saying, yes, I'll do it for her if it will save her. As the transfusion progressed, he lay in his bed next to his sister and smiled, as we all did, seeing the color returning to her cheeks. Then his face grew pale and his smile faded. He looked up at the doctor and asked with a trembling voice, will I start to die right away? You see, being young, the little boy had misunderstood the doctor. He thought he was going to have to give all of his blood to his sister and that 
he would die as a result. And I think that story touches me and it touches us because it's an example of 100% selfless love. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, but to lay one's life down for their friends. Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. He did it willingly. It meant that we might live because every one of us deserves death. The Bible says that we are all sinners. Each one of us has sinned. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each one of us has turned our own way, done our own thing. That's called sin. When we do the opposite of what God wants in our life, that's called sin. And we're all guilty of it. And then Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The payment for my sin, the payment for your sin is that somebody has to die. But scripture goes on to say, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Even though we all deserve death because God loves us so much, he sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross as the payment for my sin, as the payment for your sin. Back to the Romans 5, 8 scripture says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to do anything to have him love us. He simply loved us so much that he died for us willingly. He took the payment for my sin, for your sins, so that we could have freedom. We could have freedom from our sin and we could also have eternal life. It's a free gift, but as is true with any gift, we have to be willing to receive it. Receiving the gift of salvation, receiving the gift of forgiveness is detailed in Romans 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. See, Jesus died for us he gave his life as payment for our sins. But to receive it, we first have to believe that he is God, that he died on the cross and he died for our sins and that he rose again. Belief is part of it, but there's a little bit more than that. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, there's a difference between us and demons, You get right? There's a difference where the demons are headed and where we have an opportunity. So it's more than just belief. It's that other piece of the scripture that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? It means that he's Lord of the universe? Absolutely. Again, the demon's got that. But is he Lord of your life? Now that's the question. Jesus died to give us freedom. He died to give us eternal life. He died so that we could live forever in all eternity, in heaven. But we have to declare that he is Lord of your life, that he is Lord of my life. All right, so God's love for us is selfless. All right, one more point. 
We'll wrap this up. God's love for us is reckless. And I'm pulling this from a song that we're going to sing here in a little bit. But it's a point I wanted to make. Let me read the parable where this comes from. Matthew chapter 18. It says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, get that, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. In that same way, God is going to go after you. <laughs> he's gone after me. He's going he's to leave the 99. And I'll tell you, that's a little reckless. If you think about it, Jesus and God are up in heaven. And God says, man, I have to do something to give these guys a chance to make it up here for all eternity. And he looks over to Jesus and he says, I think I'm going to send you down there. But you're going to have to be born like everybody else. You're going to lose your power as God. You're going to live 33 years, but you've got to be perfect. You can't sin at all. And then we're going to, you're going to die this really, really painful death as payment for everybody's sins. I mean, that sounds pretty reckless to me, you know, to, to put that all together and to execute it. But Jesus willingly did it. He willingly did it for us. It's unimaginable how much God loves us. Ephesians 3.17 says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We can't understand how much God loves us. It's more than we could ever imagine. But we don't have to understand it we don't have to comprehend it to be willing to accept it. To let God love us, to help us, to comfort us. He wants what's best for us, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been. So here's the truth. You can write this in. Because God's love is reckless, my wrecked life can be made whole. And I don't know about you, but that is a true statement in my life. <laughs> Thank you, God. All right, to close, we're going to sing Reckless Love. I'm going to invite Nate and Anna to come back up here. So this song is called Reckless Love. It's actually one of the number one songs that's going around right now. And I think the reason it's so popular is because it's singing a message that we need to hear. We need to hear that God is not this God that's judging us and, you know, angry with us. He is a, a God that is loving and kind and wants us to have eternity. The lyrics say this. They say, and the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. So if you guys would stand with me. We're going to sing about God's love. So Father, 
we pray that you would come right now and inhabit the praises of your people, God. That you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, and that you would show us your love in a way that we've never felt it before. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to give online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.